0: Right at the Fork is supported by Picnic, the app where you can share and discuss your best dishes. Picnic. Eat better together. That's P-I-Q-N-I-Q. Download it today on iTunes. Welcome to another edition of Right at the Fork. Now, welcome to 2016. You are noticing some changes about Right at the Fork. I liked how you called this, Chris. Uh, right at the Fork 2.0, as we enter the third year of the podcast, you're, we're starting with a different voice. It's it's the guy who normally doesn't talk at all, but has always been in the room. I'm Court Johnson.
1: Well, yeah, you've been in the room yeah. as an engineer, but more people hear you uh, every day than right. are probably hearing you right now. They hear you on the Kink Morning Show. That's right. Um, and uh, and you've actually had me on as a guest, too. But yeah. You're awesome as the kink host. And we had you sitting here as the engineer. Right. Just not, not saying tr- anything. Trying to talk, but just never being allowed to. <laughs> like, it's not that you weren't <laughs> allowed to, but we only have so many mics. Right. Um, yeah. But that, wa- that wasn't the reason. But I'm really pleased now to um, enter a, a new era of Right at the Fork, where there's the two of us. The pressure's off of me a little bit to... Uh, right to have a Charlie Rose type interview. I, I stand gonna...
0: to the side ready to go in once right. I start seeing Chris waning a little bit. Yeah, waning a little bit,
1: waning all the time. Yeah. So you'll hear Court all the time. Um, but at any rate, it's, uh, it's wonderful to uh, start the third year. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wanted to give a heartfelt shout out to someone who's dear to both of us, Heather Jones, who um, was uh, the, our, my partner in the podcast for uh the first two years and had the idea for the podcast called me to see if i wanted to audition to be the host things went from there and uh we put together a podcast which neither of us had ever done we yeah. didn't know very much about podcasts we did so with your help a lot of
0: your help so i appreciate it i just did, i did a lot of google searching chris <laughs> yeah that's, well, that's so, really all i did
1: <laughs> so did both of us but anyway heather was a joy to work with um as, as anybody who's done a podcast knows, it takes a little bit of work and time, yeah. and um, after two years, both of us were able to, as Heather put it, scratch our creative itch, and, um, and we have a lot to show for it, and really glad that Heather was a part of the last couple of years, and I was also just as pleased to see her um, promoting... To her friends that they should be listening to the show, that, that she's rooting for us moving yeah. on. So um, thank you, Heather. Appreciate it. We have a an opportunity to start the third year in a great way with a guy, I think, who is, one could argue, right in the middle. There's no one more in the middle of the yeah. Portland food scene than kurt huffman is.
0: yeah i had a chance to uh a, a uh kurt had a a radio show here in portland on kxl that i actually i i produced the pilot for him and i that was my first time meeting kurt and i just remember i'm like man this is the guy who know he knows like well, he just knew everything
1: the other the thing about kurt and i was thinking about it as i was driving in today by the way a long drive in on sort of icy roads yeah from, but um but I don't like to use the word transparent, because in this political age, that has a negative connotation right. to it. But he's more open than anybody I've ever known as a businessman. He, he is not hiding anything. He will tell you what's going on and be very clear about it. And what that says to me about Kurt as a person is that uh, he, he's, he's an ethical, honest human being. He will tell you everything. As far as I know, may- maybe, Kurt, you'll tell us in a minute you've been holding back, but, um, but at any rate, Kurt uh, runs Chef's Table with a capital S here in Portland, uh, Chef's Table Group, and uh, they own some of Portland's finest, uh, or are part of, and Kurt will explain that relationship that Chef's Table has with its chefs and what they do in Portland, and we'll talk about places like Ox and St. Jack, and uh, we're going to talk specifically about Lardo today, and uh, Grasa, and uh, now Prim, and oven and Shaker, and Hamlet, and I'm sure Kurt will fill in the blanks there on whatever I missed. Um, and, oh, the new one that I really love is La Moule. Mm. And, and I don't know, I'm always pronouncing that incorrectly for a guy who just was in France for a while. But, uh, at any rate, it's wonderful to have... Kurt here, not only to talk about his restaurants, his world and Portland food scene, but the current controversy with Lardo and the ownership that we've been reading about in the press. And uh, I wanted to give uh, our listeners the opportunity to hear from Kurt exactly what, what his take on the situation. Kurt, you're calling us from, or we're call, we have you from San Francisco. That's Right. How is it down there? It's not as icy.
2: No, but it's uh, it's it's just like Portland. It's rainy and cold.
1: Mm. Portland, you know, I've been telling people for a long time. It's not that rainy and cold here at this time of year. Yes, but we don't have snow, and we don't have to deal with it. But M- it, most of the time, yeah, most of the time. But not, nothing like East Coast. So, uh, but Kurt, the other thing I forgot to say, or I did neglected to say. I guess I forgot, was that you're a Portlander. You grew up here, uh, Multnomah Village, if, I, if I'm if i correct.
2: That's right. My uh, my dad moved us here when I was uh, three, and he taught at Lewis and Clark Law School for his entire career. And, uh, yeah, I went to Wilson High School. I even went to Reed College here in town.
1: Oh, very so nice. A couple, of, couple lived, of prominent people have been to Reed.
2: That's right. Some controversial figures in the food world. Um, but, uh, yeah, moved, uh, lived here until I was 23 and then moved away, uh, moved to France and then Canada and then Berkeley and then, uh, three liberal bastions, uh, and then, uh, moved back in, uh, 2008 to Portland.
1: And what brought you back to Portland?
2: Uh, Andy Ricker actually. So we were, uh, I was helping him with Pock Pock at the very beginning of Pock Pock. Um, we met in 2006, uh, just as I was about to start business school, and he was uh, you know, going through what every chef goes through when they're first opening their own business, and I told him I had this idea of building a company that would support people in exactly his situation, and so in exchange for uh, him giving me access to all the restaurant's uh, accounting and, and management tools and everything, I did it for free for two years, and uh, we had a great relationship, and of course, Pock Pock went fairly well, um, and then uh, he asked me to come back up to Portland and do some more restaurants for him, so I moved back here in 2008, and we that's when I started Chef's Table.
1: And what was your first restaurant other than Pock Pock, with Chef's Table?
2: Ping. Ping. Still my, uh, still my favorite restaurant we've ever opened, and unfortunately, when uh, Andy won the beard and then became world famous and moved to uh, New York and... We just, uh, you know, we closed it down once he could no longer be in town. And uh, now it is uh, Rick Gencarelli's commissary kitchen. Overpaying. Yes. So
1: that's really your favorite restaurant that you opened uh, out of all of them? Yeah. And yeah wh- so why? why?
2: Easily, the it was, it was the one restaurant we've ever opened where I could eat there seven days a week. Uh, no problem. You can't
1: eat an ox seven days a week. <laughs> no,
2: I can't. <laughs> no, I can't eat. I mean, it was just it was for me. It just it fit exactly into uh, the kind of food that I like. You know, the flavor profiles that I like, and I mean, I just I I, I loved it. And I actually probably I have more people tell me that um, about Ping than you know than any other restaurant we've been involved with. Just there's a lot of it really hit a, a, a soft spot for a lot of people. Now, clearly, if it had been gangbusters busy all the time, you know, uh, maybe there would have been a different history. But uh, it really, you know, the people like Greg and Gabby Denton, you know, is one of their favorite restaurants before right. it closed. So um, it, it, it was a wonderful place. But there you go. Now we are closing down our second restaurant, which was Gruner, to uh, uh, remodel it for Greg and Gabby. Uh, and they're going to be opening Super Bite uh, at the beginning of March.
1: Oh, that's pretty soon.
2: Cool, so, so life,
1: uh, speaking of oh. ping, there, I don't remember, I have a, a terrible problem with remembering dishes not too long after I had them, but I had a pompano, <laughs> I had a pompano there that will for, forever remain on my, in my mind, and I was with great company, that has a lot to do with it for me, but it was so delicious, it was the whole pompano fried, and we just kind of shredded away at it, and I love that dish.
2: Yeah, the pork knuckle, right?
1: No, no, the pompano, the fish, the pompano. Oh,
2: yeah, that's right. Oh, that was a great dish. I love that. Yeah, the dish. funny thing about Ping is that uh, I would say half of the menu is now over at Senyai. Mhm. Um so, you know, it was it was kind of Ping was always Poc Poc's B-sides. That's what I I make a lot of.
0: I love that. It's a great music
2: reference there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think music, I mean, I think the music industry and the food industry are are very very similar in in a lot of ways and uh uh, and for me, you know, that was, you know, everything that we were doing at Ping was uh, kind of those dishes that that Andy loved that, uh, you know, that he just didn't feel like fit into what he was trying to do at Pock Poc. But, you know, we're just fantastic. So, I mean, we, we had a, a pork chop sandwich, which was just out of this world. We had that pork knuckle. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. Um, and... I mean, there were just so many dishes that were so fantastic. And so it's, uh, it was it's a, sad thinking back on it.
1: It was a little different than ever, ever, other place. But, you know, your reference to uh, to the music industry is a good one for you because what you do with chefs is a lot of what a manager does for a musician, which is to handle the business end of their life or their career and um, and their music and let them... Shine creatively, so that you can do enough on the in the, on the back end to make sure that everything is running smoothly. So their creativity shines in its in its brightest light. Is that correct? Yeah,
2: I think so. I mean, look, it's you know every restaurant's kind of like an album. You know, is what is how I always think about it. And you know, sometimes it can be you know the album can be a source of enormous personal pride, and it can be creatively creatively exactly what you're shooting for and nobody can like it, you know, and that, and that's okay. And, um, you know, I think our, our approach to, uh, to the restaurant business is that, um, we've never had, uh, we've never demanded or insisted that, uh, that everything we do be successful. Um, that's not the principal filter for deciding to do a project. Um, and in fact, we you know we've come to a point, and we've done I think 26 restaurants or 28 maybe in the last eight years. And our our feeling about it now is that we genuinely have no idea which restaurants are going to work and which ones won't. Um, and you know we really eschew any kind of formula uh, on the uh, on the concept side, right? I mean we're always willing to try new things. You know every single. Project and that's I think a strength of what we do, but also a, a glaring weakness of what we do because, you know, you're kind of trying to reinvent the wheel each time, and um, you know, just like you know when you're taking a new direction with an album. I mean, if we're going to continue the analogy, you know, sometimes people aren't just going you know aren't going to like it. I mean, if we look at Peng again, you know, Pock was really exploding, uh, restaurant of the year. You know, he he then won the beard. But, you know, when people came to ping, they were really looking for the chicken wings. And there was, you know, Andy was never going to sell the chicken wings down there. And it was just kind of a frustration because that's, you know, that was his uh, that was his number one hit song. Right. And everybody wanted to listen to it and we didn't have it. So they weren't quite as interested in um, in 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 the other songs that were available. And so, yeah, and I and I, you know, it's always dangerous to make to have metaphors about what you what you think your business is like because you know you don't want to imply or suggest that um, it's as good as you know kind con- the, the idea that you think it should be or the or the analogy that you're making but you know my dream for chef's table was always that it would be like a sub pop for um, for the restaurant world that we could go and find people that we thought were super talented and provide a a foundation them to work in and provide financial support and provide some kind of guidance and that hopefully, you know, we would be uh, discovering talent and enabling talent in a way that would be, um, you know, that would be really exciting and that we would end up having, um, uh, you know, restaurants come out of that formula that would be unusual and, and, and fun and different, uh, and that That would kind of be our approach to contributing something to the Portland restaurant scene. And
1: suffice it to say, you're not doing focus groups with any of your
2: restaurants. No, we're not. And but yeah, we don't. uh, No PR. Uh,
1: But I would imagine that that's got to get a little frustrating at times because you must have situations where you have a chef that wants to do something that you feel is like, no, that you know, you're talking about letting them, uh, letting the restaurant take its, find its way. But in some cases, you've got enough experience to know that something probably will not work and you've got to let it go anyway.
2: Well, and I think we're trying to get better at that, right? I mean, at the beginning, I never said no to anything. Um, and, and 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 that was just because that's what you do when you start your own business, right? You just say yes to things because you, you're, you're trying to, uh, you know, I didn't want to be the only person working at Chef's Table. I wanted to be able to hire help and I wanted to be able to, um, you know, bring in some support, and um, you know, wasn't until you know, Chef's Table was about a year and a half old before I even had an employee. So, um, you know, you want to grow, and you want to, and you want to bring in uh, new, new deals and new opportunities. Uh, and it just so happened that we were very fortunate for probably the first seven or eight um, projects. And but you know, as, as as we've gotten smarter and and older. There's definitely concepts now that are pitched to us, even by existing partners, where we just say, you know, that that just sounds like a terrible idea and we don't want to do that. But, you know, we've also failed enough and succeeded enough where we can actually provide some insight into why we don't want to do it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And I think for the most part, our partners, uh, you know, look at us as being credible and actually having an opinion that, you know, is informed and that matters. So, you know, we've uh, there's a lot of, you know, I won't name names, but there's been a lot of stupid ideas that have been pitched to me. Oh come on, uh, by, by existing partners, and I've well, pitched. You know, <laughs> I'm I am the number one source of stupid ideas that I pitch to people all the time, and um, you know, and I, I've pitched tons of ideas to Aaron Barnett, and he just stares at me with kind of a blank stare. It, for, can we look forward? He,
1: can we look forward to seeing that on your website and the Chef's Table website? The, the
2: garbage yeah no the more uh, stupid ideas mail. than anyone else <laughs> <laughs> um i yeah i've pitched ideas to you know greg and gabby i pitched ideas to rick um my favorite idea i really tried to get rick to get to do and he wouldn't do it was a nacheria and this is where we would only serve nachos It'd be <laughs> rick rick jencorelli nachos
1: right but the uh, aria part of it is uh is that spelled
2: E R I A? Spanish, Spanish, It's like a taqueria. Yeah. It's yeah, but it's a nacheria. It's, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I think I'm sure that you see these uh, way down in the heart of Mexico. Um, you know, the old traditional nacherias. And, uh, <laughs> I really don't want to go good. into
1: it. But you don't. You don't see the possibility of all the critics and all the Yelp reviews with diarrhea with that,
2: you know? <laughs> Oh, believe me. I mean, if I worried about Yelp reviews, I wouldn't be doing any of that. Well, that, and that's yeah. how we met. My, that's
1: how you and I met, my friend, was, was and Yelp that's reviews. that's
2: how we met. But you, you were the rare ones, Chris. You wrote me a letter before you posted, which gave me a chance to actually reply.
1: I didn't even, wasn't even, pla- just, I wasn't even planning a Yelp review. I only wrote you about the Yelp reviews that you had posted at Foster Burger.
2: <laughs> that's right, yeah. That was my one attempt to kind of satirize the whole thing. I We, uh, Every one-star Yelp review we got at Foster Burger, I framed and put in the uh, in, in the corridor to the bathroom um, just because some of them were so fantastic. You know, we got a, a one-star Yelp review uh, for somebody saying they showed up and, and we weren't open yet uh, and what kind of idiots are, aren't open <laughs> when uh, she shows when show up at up, a restaurant. Yeah. So we got a one-star review for that. Uh, we had... I, it was just awesome. I mean, all of these angry people for just the dumbest reasons, and I and I thought it would be fun to just kind of post them, and it turned out to not be a great idea.
1: Well, it probably, you know, I my case to you was when I wrote you that letter, and not to bring this up, but I, I thought it was kind of amusing. My case to you was when you're proven and you're just an awesome restaurant that's got everything singing on every level, then maybe you can do that, but at the time I didn't feel that uh, you were in a position to mock your customers. That was my my feeling at the time.
2: Yeah, and that's what you don't want to do. You don't <laughs> right. want to mock your customers. Right. I mean, it was supposed to be kind of hey, isn't this funny? Uh, but you know, so after you wrote me and we talked, we actually took down all the reviews, and it was a good lesson for me.
1: So, do you have any? You know, you you just mentioned a moment ago that you don't always know what's going to be the hits or what aren't. You know, what would fail? Do you have any? uh that have absolutely surprised you that have been really successful that you had no idea were going to be or or a couple or one that may have just not not made it that you thought was uh, definitely going to be a hit
2: well one of the ones that i was most panicked about because we had to take on a lot of debt to do it and it was in a neighborhood that i as a as a native portlander i just did not see how it was going to be busy was Ox. The night before we, the night we opened Ox, I was absolutely petrified because it's the most we ever borrowed to do a restaurant, and um, you know, and I just didn't, I just didn't know. uh, Yeah, it's it's so easy to kind of rewrite history, right? For people to say, oh, Greg and Gabby Denton, two of the most, you know, talented chefs in Portland, and of course it's going to work. But that's just such BS. It's like, you know, Greg and Gabby had, you know, just worked at two consecutive you know, I mean, Metrovino was, was, did okay, but wasn't successful.
1: But they uh, got, and then, they got a you know, lot of Lucia, high marks for that there. Yeah. And that's Lucier
2: was, was a total fiasco. Um, Through no so, fault to
1: them, right? They just happened no to, fault that's to theirs, what got right? them to but Portland. It's not
2: like, it's not like this pedigree of monster successes, right? Right, right. Uh, you know, I happen to believe that they were super talented and that, that tends to be the only filter I use in deciding to work with people. Um, and so I believed in them. But I was petrified about MLK. I mean, you grow up in Portland, MLK, where it is. And all I could tell myself is, all right, Gorham's like four blocks away around the corner on Russell and he's killing it. So, you know, we can, we hope that we can stay busy, but it's on MLK. It's not residential there. Uh, you know, you just, I just didn't know. And then we opened and, and, the, and the thing with Ox uh, that resonated immediately with people is that People started thinking of it as a steakhouse, and as soon as you start thinking about a thing as a steakhouse, but kind of a foodie steakhouse, all of a sudden there were all of these West Hills people and all the foodie people, mm-hmm. and 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 it just kind of compounded into the perfect storm, and you know we've been busy ever since we opened.
1: Right? And I don't think it. I don't think it hurts at all that Greg and Gabby are such delightful people. Um, Absolutely. I think. I think in this town. Where you kind of need, where you need a little bit of a head start, or it helps to have a head start, you don't need it, but uh, with the industry falling in love with places and doing some posting and sh- and saying that they're there, that's where a lot of credibility comes in for a restaurant for a lot of our diners, is to see other
2: chefs. I agree. So, I agree. But, you know, the foodie, the foodie scene doesn't move the needle at all. You know, that's the great misconception in Portland is that they don't, they don't make a difference. Um, glowing reviews don't make a difference. Um, you know, what makes a difference is whether the concept resonates with the 99% of people that don't read that stuff and don't care about that stuff, uh, is if it somehow resonates with them. And, I mean, we've had, you know, we've had, I and mean, Ping's a great example, right? It was just top 10 restaurants in America, GQ magazine, rising star, best new restaurant in the Oregonian with Karen Brooks, just accolade after accolade after accolade, but, you know, it it was in Chinatown, right? And who the hell wants to go into Chinatown, with you know, with just total disaster in terms of, you know, the neighborhood and uh, and the stinks and the smells and everything? It's just you know, it just the demographics like my mom's demographic. There's just no way that they want to go down there. So, you know, that couldn't couldn't we couldn't get over the hump. Um, and then there's you know the other restaurants that uh, have received tons of accolades, but maybe their business model wasn't done right. right. So St. Jack's a great example. You know, we were we were a break even restaurant uh, for four years when we were on Clinton because we just didn't have the seats to allow us to to make any money. So, you know, you can get all sorts of accolades and you can be as credible as you want in the foodie community. But uh, unless the concept resonates with normal people, you know, the people that are actually going to keep coming into your restaurant six months after it's open uh, and you have the financial kind of operational infrastructure to allow you to actually pay your bills and pay yourself, you know, then you just, you end up closing after two or three years.
1: So it doesn't have an indirect effect in that if the, if the quote unquote foodie community supports it, then some of the critics in Portland take note. And then when some of the the critics or influential people from New York or other cities come into town, those are the places they go and then it kind of, it kind of is self-perpetuating from there. Does't that help or is that just a minor part? We of it?
2: So in eight years, there is exactly zero correlation between national press and business levels. What's so that? you know we can be featured all the time in in the New York Times and it doesn't make a blip on the radar uh, as far as business levels here in Portland. It's great for egos. it's great for this and that. but you know my the thing I like to say is, then, you know, the week after Andy won the the Beard Award uh, was our slowest week ever at paying.
1: Hmm.
2: Right. It just doesn't. So it just doesn't. You know, it doesn't. But People have this idea, but there's really two different things. I think in the food world now there's kind of the brand of the chef. Right. And that kind of exists as its own thing. And it kind of lives in it. And, you know, with Andy, for instance, He's become a public figure in a certain way, and he's on CNN with Anthony Bourdain, and he's doing these things. And then there's the restaurant, right? Pock Pock, as a thing, resonated with people, and now there's Ubers in front of it all the time. And if you go there, you know what I'm talking about. It is busy, and it is busy with people from Beaverton. Uh, you know, foodies in general don't go to Pock Pock anymore. Because you know, they have because to wait. Just, yeah, because they have to wait, and it's a hassle. <laughs> but it's packed. Andy is doing two times the business now that he was doing four years ago. And four years ago, he was, you know, just you think about him being enormously successful. He's doing twice the revenue now. I mean, Poc, Poc is constantly busy seven days a week. And that's because that thing resonated. You know, you don't have lines at Senyai. Uh, we didn't have y- lines at Ping. All right. It's just pock pock resonates with people and uh well it's a
1: huge you know. brand now i mean it's all over the place and yeah, it's a huge and, brand and it's and you know. part of the brand but the the name pak has gotten that national press which i think perpetuates but if that. you
2: go to pak pak and you ask people what's the name of the chef here 99 percent of people won't oh, have any
1: idea well they wouldn't say Andy? Yeah, well, they may not know who's in the kitchen at that moment. I don't know. No, they
2: wouldn't say Andy. They right. wouldn't know who owns it. Yeah, all right. It's like, you, oh, you know, if you ask somebody at Ox, you know, to come in and, and just say, do you know the names of the chef, it's it's amazing how people how few people know it, because after a while, nobody cares. It's like this kind of, you know, this Q celebrity or the, whatever the lowest celebrity lift list that food people occupy, It it. it you know, it, it's like a radio station that, you know, a hundred people listen to. It's just, it reminds me of my radio show. <laughs> you know, it just, really? it's just It doesn't, you know, nobody nobody listens because the majority of people just don't care. It's like they've heard about a great place somehow. They want to check it out. And so, um, so that's that's where they go. And it's delicious, right? And, right. you know. So let's talk about on...
1: another place that's delicious that maybe a lot of people aren't paying attention to, but I have been and a few other yeah. people have been. Lardo. Um, yes, and we've been seeing, what, for about three weeks, a month now, uh, probably three weeks, um, a little controversy in terms of ownership of the original two Lardo locations and, uh, and how that plays into the North Williams location with Lardo. Can you just give um, our listeners a little overview as to what they, <laughs> those that had, they haven't read it and don't know, what they may have read and then your take on it?
2: Uh, so, of course, you know, this is a talking about what has become a lawsuit. So I have to be careful about saying something. And I appreciated your kind words at the beginning of the sh- of your introduction about me being transparent. And I do try to be because I feel like it's important for me to remain credible, you know, with whoever it is I'm talking to. And if I'm just filling them full of, you know, PR lines or company lines, then. I think after a while people just stop listening to you. Um, but, you know, relative to Lardo, the, the intro I'll give is, is, is a reminder, and I tell this to every business partner I sit down with, is that businesses are first and foremost relationships. And, um, you know, I had a business in France uh, with a very close friend of mine, and we didn't have an operating agreement, and we killed ourselves for 10 years building this thing. Uh, And it's now a very, very big deal in in Lyon, France. But when we, you know, we got into an argument, eventually just, you know, and we were young. I mean, I was 20, what, 24 when I started working on it. And, you know, by the time I'm 33, he and I just want to kill each other. And that's just, you know, that's just a relationship uh, gone bad, we didn't communicate well, Um, we didn't have uh, kind of people that we could bounce our conflicts off of, there was ego issues. It's all the same stuff that, you know, goes into failed relationships, right? Failed businesses and failed relationships are remarkably similar. Um, and at Lardo, you know, that's what happened. There was a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more responsible than anybody uh, because my role uh, as, you know, as kind of the, the manager of these businesses is to make sure that everybody gets along, uh, but in this case... Uh, you know, the partners genuinely did not get along. There's a lot of frustrations. Those frustrations kind of boiled over oh about a year and a half ago or a year ago and uh, and Rick and I uh, you know we own ninety percent of the business on our side. we kind of were trying to resolve those uh, problems, I would say in a way that is frustratingly slow because lawyers are involved and uh, there's all this hedging and back and forth and trying to find out what the other side wants, um, and uh, and over time we just you know I, I think for Ramsey who is the the partner who's frustrated, it just things took too long and he felt like he was being jerked around and so he pulled the uh, uh, you know he filed a lawsuit which is extraordinarily expensive. Thing to do. I mean, it's you know thirty to fifty thousand dollars to file a lawsuit.
1: But you were into, There were lawyers involved before that because that you just cited slowed the process down.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were you know we were essentially for a year kind of going back and forth on, and the question that Rick and I kept asking our lawyer and and you know and then him asking the lawyer is just okay. Well, what what does everybody want? And it's amazing that and we just had a conversation uh, three weeks ago. Um, With Ramsey just saying, you know, what do you know? What do you want? Because we got to just figure this out and he's still not sure Um, So it's it's interesting that we're just you know, we're at a point where we're just there's a lot of frustration Um, I think that Ramsey wanted to be much I know he wanted to be much more involved in the day-to-day operations of the business He's a very smart guy. He has tons of contacts you know, he wanted to help grow the brand it just so happened that rick and i didn't like the opportunities he was bringing and didn't like the deals he was bringing and so i think he felt very much stymied and there was just a point at which you know it just became awkward and um and, and it was just an awkward relationship i mean it's essentially um like being in a, a three-man musical group where you know two of the guys don't want to hang out with the third anymore and um and then what do you do you know you just try to manage the situation thoughtfully. Um, without without spending a lot of money and without getting too pissed off with one another, and and then you you know hopefully find an amiable solution. And unfortunately, um, unfortunately, it went to lawsuit before we could do that. But, so the,
1: the lawsuit, I, as I understand it, claims that you used equity from the Hawthorne location uh, to finance the North Williams, and given that. Uh, Mr. Ramsey was, or Ramsey um, was the um, was a partner there that uh, you were using his money to finance North Williams without his uh, permission or his knowledge. That's that's what I read in the paper.
2: Yeah, I think that's more or less it. I mean, it's you know, it's and this is where it gets complicated because you know when you we we finance North Williams with an SBA loan, so a Small Business Administration loan. To be able to get an SBA loan, we had to get a cross-corporate guarantee from Chef Stable, right? So my company guaranteed it. We had to, Rick and I had to put our houses on the line to guarantee it. And uh, they insisted on having a cross-corporate guarantee by Lardo. So the two other existing locations of Lardo. To get a cross-corporate guarantee, um, you somebody from those two companies has to sign. And for somebody from those two companies to sign, you have to get approval from all of the members. So way back on November fifteenth, uh, two thousand twelve, um, we got uh, Ramsey's approval to to do all of this. Um, and you know, and as of you know, the first year it was open, Ramsey is was you know a proportional owner of the bakery. Um, in the lawsuit, you know, he, he claims the, the, the opposite of both of those things. You know, the, the truth about what's happening uh, isn't as important in the lawsuit as the posturing and the kind of psychological pressure that each side tries to put on one another. And, uh, and, and what, you know, on their side they've tried to do is really put the fear of God in, in Rick that he could potentially lose Lardo. And lose control of the brand and actually have to sell it. Um, and it, it, you know, in my opinion, and you know, seeing these things happen, the 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 objective there was essentially to you know scare Rick so much about the possibility of losing Lardo, which incidentally will never happen. Um, but you know, to scare him enough to make it seem real enough that you know he 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 freaks out and subsequently we freak out and we agree to pay whatever we have to pay right to make it go away um and so you're
1: sitting at a poker table
2: it's right? exactly what it is he's, it's exactly what it is it's just posturing and bluffing and silliness
1: so the bottom line is and i don't mean to cut you off but it, we're we're getting pretty deep into legalese here there's- i'd just say there's too many cooks in the kitchen <laughs> yeah no
2: <laughs> yeah look it's just the bottom line is we didn't get along right yeah and 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 but
1: the the upshot is and you can never tell what's going to happen but we're all going to enjoy lardo sandwiches and and you and rick will be the rightful owners is that
2: yeah we're gonna rick of course it's like rick's gonna you know lardo's gonna stay um we you know we we the bakery north williams has been a harder destination than we expected um you know we did there's tons of building going on up there we know eventually it's going to catch up until then we've had to support the bakery you know once that baker you know once the bakery in the Lardo North is as busy as the other places then you know then we'll be able to grow Lardo and you know what we've told you know, Ramsey is just look just you got to be patient you know it's like we're not doing anything funny here we're actually supporting uh, the bakery which we have to as part of the cross corporate guarantee that everybody signed and agreed to and let's just get the bakery going Let's get up and going. Let's find good deals uh, in the future. We're not allowed to take any new debt on as Lardo right now as part of the SBA loan. So we're just kind of in a holding pattern. And I understand that people get frustrated and they want to make money sooner than later and that they get impatient. But at the same time, it's not really my problem. I mean, we're doing what we have to do for the for the good of the, the company. And, you know, and I will say one thing is that I'm – I am unhealthfully loyal uh, to my partners. And, you know, so in this case, I felt like somebody was bullying uh, Rick and trying to scare him. And so, in those circumstances, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to be overly protective uh, of, of Rick's interests because he's my friend and, you know, and I want to defend what he spent the last six years building um and you know so we're just going to be in strong disagreements until this is all sorted out. but it's going to get sorted out.
0: So on that note, we got to do some product placement right here, Chris. Let's do some product placement when you know it's
1: appropriate because yeah. I want to talk to Kurt about um about his new app for Chef's Table which is Chew. Yeah. But there's another app that's supporting us. Yeah. Called Pic- Picnic. 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 Kurt, do you know about Picnic? Have you heard about this yet?
2: Oh, boy. I I think that we came across it during our research for the development of Chew, but I I can't remember the specifics about it.
0: P-I-Q-N-I-Q. Right. And to, to me, this is perfect for my wife at home who occasionally will prepare like a gourmet meal. She's super proud of herself. She's done an awesome presentation. And then she starts snapping pictures of it for Instagram and Facebook. But Picnic is exactly that for people at home cooking. A way to like kind of say, "Hey, th- I did this. Well, it's I made this more so
1: than than bragging,
0: though. It's about sharing, yeah, and so and
1: getting some feedback, feedback. and some conversation going about the recipe right. and and so forth. So it's kind of a hybrid between uh, Instagram and Reddit, which I'm not very familiar with, but kind uh, of a
0: blogging site where you can just kind of there's interaction between all the users cool. and your dis- discussions are going on.
1: Right, and as you're going, it's not just one picture. you yeah. can post a number. So you have a series, they have...
0: That's the that's the feature, actually, that I love the most. I'm a big Instagram fan, but in, in Picnic, you can actually, if you've taken four f- different photos of something, you can actually, they'll all be right there. You don't have to do four different posts.
1: Right. So it's uh, it's easy to find on iTunes. It's P-I-Q-N-I-Q, coming soon to Android, but can be accessed on a browser if you're an Android user. So um, check out Picnic uh, if you like to cook at home, or you just like to look at beautiful food. I already you know. And, or... Yeah. You just want to support this podcast and show people that their, their product placement there we go, Right at the we Fork We've got to give
0: them the Right at the Fork bump downloads on iTunes, so go download it, everybody.
1: There you go. And another one to download. Yeah. Chew. Kurt, we have Chew now, which is basically a Features a lot of the Chef's Table restaurants and has some little deals on there, as I see, and a, it's a little bit of a loyalty program, is it not?
2: It is. It's a loyalty program that in kind of phase one, it's going to morph into a reservation software as well. Um, And essentially, it's uh, it's all about building loyalty, but uh, not through uh, the premise of just giving stuff away, but more about uh, engaging people in, you know, in uh, deals, if that's pop ups, if it's big food events, if it's stuff we're organizing. Um, if it's invitations to come to Greg and Gabby's new restaurant, you know, once the preview dinner is start. I mean, the idea is to have uh, it essentially collects a lot of data um, through our point of sale system. Um, so, you know, when you come in and eat at the restaurants, um, we're able to to know what it is that you order and what it is that you like. So if we are going to send you something, we're sending you something based on what you've actually ordered and eaten. Um, and then. You know, it's more or less an opportunity for us to say thank you to people, but in an intelligent way. So uh, internally for us, it's a great way to reach out to our guests and, uh, and and show them that we appreciate the fact that they're spending their hard-earned dollars with our restaurants. Um, and then for users, it's an opportunity to get engaged in anything and everything that we're involved in in the food scene in Portland. Um, and there's a lot of content that's now uh, starting to circulate on the app whether it's uh, video content from different chefs and partners or recipes or, you know, you name it, invitations to parties that we're hosting, things like that. So the idea is just to kind of have a forum where people can engage in in the Portland food scene. And, you know, once we get all the bugs worked out and figure it all out, we're going to be growing it, we think, to 30 different restaurants in town. And then it's oh, so so not gonna just a- going to be
1: a chef's table thing.
2: No, not at all. No.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. I was going to. Obviously, yeah, one so and we ask have it. a lot of
2: people as soon as we get the reservation status on there We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be set up and it's gonna be fantastic
1: Will we be able to make reservations at Ox through this?
2: Well, what's super cool about it is once you've been into Aux a certain number of times, for instance, you're going to unlock an ability, potentially. You know, Greg and Gabby, I'm negotiating with them on this. But you're going to be able to have an ability of us to send you like a cut to the front of the line. Oh, that know. is or my in, thing, right? man.
1: I've been talking to – I asked the, is sold. I asked the Gorums about this. Anybody, anything to get to the front of the line. Yeah, because <laughs> if
2: you go into a place 10 times, right, it's like you're a good customer. Right, right. right. Those customers are usually calling me or texting me or texting somebody and saying, hey, can I get in tonight? And it's like, it'd be great just to be able, for us to be able to send a one-use thing on your phone. You just show it to your host and say, hey, man, today I really want to cash in this thing I have. So it's not we're not giving away anything for free, right? It's just an awesome upsell because you're such a good client.
1: And that so, gets you know, around the the… Portland attitude, like anybody's getting favoritism because they have any right. influence or money, this, right. or, yeah, you've earned it. Yeah. I think that's awesome, and I think I think it'll work, and I think a lot of people will gravitate to the restaurants that do that over some of the other ones. So,
2: and so the thing about phones, which I keep telling people, is that in, in Portland, you know, down here in San Francisco, it's like people are paying with their phones everywhere, right. and I'm, you know, I'm telling people, it's like, look, the phone is just it's evolving, and we're a little bit, you know a bunch of luddites in portland but it's going to come and all restaurants have to be equipped now with this uh this chip reading system uh to remain compliant with credit card processing rules so the phone is just becoming this thing where you pay for stuff so you know the idea of showing somebody a cut to the front of the line thing on your phone you know in two or three years is just going to be commonplace right
1: yeah i mean God, gift I cards,
2: people are going to stop issuing plastic gift cards because you're just going to go to a kiosk, enter in a code, and they're going to email you your or, or text you your gift card, which is going to be on your phone. And you just simply show your phone, like you do at Starbucks, if you've seen those, you know, those guys using the gift card there. They just, you know, show their phone, it scans, and it deducts money from right. the gift card. It's just the phone is just becoming a hub of all these all these transactions, and so we're just using it as a way. To kind of you know communicate and we're keeping it super discreet it's not like the phone is out the only time you ever have to show the phone ever is if I say, Chris, thanks for coming in 10 times to Lardo. Mm-hmm. You're the Cubano King for October. I want to be the, I be the Cubano
1: King. I got to be the Cubano King. do you king. get a t-shirt with yeah, the Cubano King? king. Yeah, we yeah, make just you need a to t-shirt, be... right? Yeah. Your, your yeah. Heart, when you become the Cubano King, the only shirt available is a double XL.
0: That's a coronation no, I, I want to go, go to. we
2: know that about you. I'm right? <laughs> so getting a little smaller. We make you a double XL Cubano King t-shirt, and you just have to show your thing saying, hey, some of these guys left me a present. Feed me a t-shirt. You know, we give it to you. It's like, that's just uh, nice. That's not cheesy. That's just, that's just being conscientious and good business people.
1: It is. So listen, Kurt, we're running out of time, unfortunately. And there's one thing I wanted to cover with you before we go. You, you and I were chatting the other day and you made the comment that right now is a really tough time to be opening a new restaurant in Portland. Can yes. you, and not uh, uh, in a minute or two, can you talk about why that is and what's going, and what's leading you to say that?
2: So uh, here are the data points. Um, One, we've been in business now for eight, about eight and a half years in Portland. Uh, And never in eight and a half years have I uh, uh, been getting uh, as many calls from uh, restaurant operators that are struggling. Um, You know, never have I been getting calls from restaurant brokers, right? The guys that sell restaurants that are struggling for other people. Uh, you know, it's just it's chronic right now. And um, there's been so many openings. And there's such a fury around, you know, opening restaurants that I I, I think we're going to have more closures in the first half of 2016 than we've seen in 10 years. Um, And it's going to be places that really surprise people. I mean, there's some very popular restaurants that are just simply not making money. And I don't know why that is. Um, uh, You know, I'm just not sure. I think that there's maybe more uh, supply right now than there is demand. Um, you know, I think that the, the, the demand is going to keep growing, but I think maybe the restaurant scene outpaced uh, the demand. But it is the hardest time by far that I've seen in, in the last eight and a half years in Portland. And, uh, and that there's going to be a lot of really sad closures that are going to happen in, in the next six months.
1: That's sad to hear. Because uh, we just had Levant clothes and Cocoa, and everybody's very sad about that. And I uh, hate and to see more restaurants like that. what's crazy is that people like that. are going
2: right back in, right? They're going, I mean, just think about the old St. Jack, right? Renard went right in there afterwards, right. they're closed already. Mm. It's, just, you know, it, it, it's just because that, that fantasy is out there, this fantasy of just going in and having a successful restaurant in Portland is just so compelling to people. And people are willing to throw money into it because it's kind of a scene now. So you have the cash available. You have interested parties. You have all these young people, and I mean, believe me, I know because I get emails every day about young guy doing this, person from out of town moving to Portland because they want to be part of that. It's just like there's a fury about trying to get the place open in Portland is like a foothold to, you know, creating some kind of national celebrity or something, and and it's just you know, they're just, and I don't think that everybody's ready.
1: Right. No, I, is, it, well, I think they're, hard at this business. point, they're probably three, two, three, four years too late. So they're no longer buying low. They're they're buying high. They're buying high, yeah. they're buying
2: really high. And, and frankly, you know, the scene is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty a mature scene here. Right. So you have to bring in your A game. You just can't come in and kind of have, you know, mediocre stuff and, and, and expect to be successful. Um, but, you know, but I think what we're really going to see is a trend in the next year or two is just going to be reduced service restaurants because, you know, compounding all these things. Is you mean like a like
1: grasa and lardo when you. Yeah, like grassa and lardo. Right. It's
2: just, uh, you know, because minimum wage is going to increase. Uh, there's no way they're going to give us a tip credit to help balance that. So, you know, essentially everybody in the restaurant scene is going to have to give a four to five dollar an hour raise Uh, to our best paid employees you know all of our servers and bartenders and we're not going to be able to give a raise to the people that need a raise and that's everybody in the kitchen Um, and so you know and and so that's just going to scare the hell out of even more people so I think it's it's going to be I mean it's a really challenging time right now um, to get uh, you know to get a place open and successful I mean rents are just through the roof and Blah, well, that's blah, the problem.
1: Blah, blah. You're buying high. So if they would have done it a few years ago, maybe they were in a little better. Yeah. So, Kurt, other than a chef's table, a restaurant, just give me one or two places that are really exciting you in Portland right now that you think won't close or hope don't close anyway.
2: Oh, boy. Well, I can't say that qualifier because, um, you know, I... This is all well, I, I just meant that
1: you're really enjoying a uh, yeah, couple I, of places. Yeah, I had
2: a wonderful meal at Coquine. I thought it was wonderful, but uh that size of a restaurant with that many seats uh is an absolute bear to make money at um and i think if you look at the places that have closed recently coco Levon, all those they're, they're all
1: in the same uh, game.
2: In the same kind of family right? right like 50 seat full service restaurants uh in portland so, so i mean for me I, think, I hope, hope, hope that they can, they can make that work because that is a tough, tough model. Well,
1: it's also a very unique little situation over there. It's beautiful. Uh, oh, it's Kurt, just beautiful, listen, yeah. it's been wonderful to have you here. Uh, Thank you. We've really enjoyed uh, having, well, the fact that you called in from San Francisco, you moved a lunch for this. So I guess I, I, guess I owe you lunch somewhere That's all right. at some time. That's all right.
2: I have a lot of lunches.
1: Yeah, well, I you know, always once say you're that too. With
2: 18 restaurants, it's like eating out is not one. It's not, not what one of your challenges.
1: That's what Pete. <laughs> you know, I, for Christmas sometimes people give me gift card, gifts, certificates to restaurant. It's like I got. I don't mean to be rude, but it's like the last thing I. How about eat.
0: this? We'll have you over and make you a grilled cheese.
2: That's yeah. That, yeah. Invite me out for a beer. There we
0: go. There you, well, you got you have access to that too,
2: Kurt. I do. Yeah, there's <laughs> a little bit of beer.
0: You <laughs> <in> have <laughs> the industry. Mm. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angelis and Court Johnson. Intro music by Arielle Varinus. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.
2: Against my will.